Good morning, Mission View. It's always good to be with you. Uh, a great opportunity for us to, in a few minutes, open up God's Word. And we've uh, taken some time to worship and, and be together. And, and just so that you know, a 65 is the magic number. You're like, what, for retirement? You know, it's 65 more days until spring. Amen? Uh, so thankful. <laughs> so this week, um, I don't know if it was the Lord, but uh, just the Lord laid on my heart that I should do a church plan in Aruba. And so uh, I'm wondering how many of you are available to go. Wow, wow, this is, the, this is great. Uh, it's not great for Mission View, but that's, this is great. Uh, so, but uh, always good to be here. And so uh, let me, I know we just prayed, but just uh, we, we come in every week with stuff on our mind. And I don't know what happened in your car on the way here, or what was going on in your house, or trying to get kids ready, or maybe as spouses we were on each other's nerves, and then we get in and people say, how are you? And you're like, well, we're great, but you're not, and you know who you are. Uh, let's just take a minute and just uh, say, Lord, you take, you take control this morning. So let me pray for this. Lord, we praise you and thank you for your goodness. We ask, Lord, now that we would have open hearts and open minds to what you would want and you would desire for our lives. Lord, we're not perfect. We're, we're people that are fallible, people that are struggling, people that have come in even this morning dragging our, our chains. But we have a good way of camouflaging them. So, Lord, this morning as we open up your word, I pray that it wouldn't just be another church hour. But it would be a time, again, that you would resonate your word in our heart. That we would find ourselves saying, Lord, I am not where I should be, but by the grace of God, help me to be where I need to be. Give me the strength, give me the courage, give me the determination to be God's man, God's woman, doing God's business for God's glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name. So a little about me, I was raised uh, real close to the Football Hall of Fame in Canton. And right beside the Football Hall of Fame is the McKinley Monument Park. How many of you have been to the McKinley Monument Park? And so as a kid, I slid down slides and swung on swings and, and fished, and I spent hour after hour after hour at the McKinley Monument Park. I can't tell you how many times I had gone up the steps of the McKinley Monument and truly enjoyed that. And so, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, all the way along the side of McKinley Monument Park runs a railroad track. And uh, if it was one time, it was dozens of times that as I was praying, or as I was playing, uh, I would see these massive train engines going by, pulling uh, 10, 20, 40, 60 train cars, train car after train car after train car. And as a kid, I would stand there in, in awe, and I would think, oh, man, that, that's just massive, these massive train engines. And they would make that sound, you know? Would you do that with me? I'm just kidding. And I would love that. And I'm not quite sure what was in those train cars, but I'm sure they were important. But without that engine, they're not going anywhere. You can have as many train cars as you want, but if it doesn't have an engine, it's not going anywhere. And, and so it is, I think, with leadership. Uh, the, the train engine is taking those trains uh, down this path, down this track, uh, not just uh, to... Uh, 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 along a path, but to a particular destination. 
And I, I think that as leaders, uh, that's, that's us. Uh, we are called, all of us are called to follow and all of us are called to lead as believers in Christ. And so we, as one accord, come together and we are being led down a path and to a particular destination. Uh, that's leadership. We have been talking uh, in this series about the making of a leader. And it's always interesting that God will use some of the most interesting people to lead his people. Uh, I, I'm a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. And there were times I would look at people, and I'm sure you've done this too. You look at people and you go, how is God going to use them? I mean, please, Lord, I know you have a sense of humor, but how are you going to use them? And I begin to see how God does use his people. And that is certainly the case when it comes to Saul of Tarsus, who would eventually become Paul the Apostle. That God will use individuals and raise them up to lead his people and to become an incredible example and model of leadership. When we would find ourselves saying, how are you going to use them? There is no way you're going to be able to use that person. And yet God, in his sovereignty, and God in his grace, look around you. He's using us. He's using you to lead your families. He's using you to lead the church. He's using you to lead in your workplace. He's using you. Meet me, if you would, in Acts chapter 9 this morning. And I think uh, last week we spent a little bit of time just getting a small little peek of this uh, Saul of Tarsus. This person who is standing there collecting coats in Acts chapter 7 and is giving full approval of the stoning of Stephen. He is approving of executions of those who would consider themselves to be of the way, to be of Christ. He is dragging believers in chapter 8 out of their homes and taking them to prison where they are being tried and many of them are being executed. Uh, this man, Saul of Tarsus, is an incredible individual and is a, uh, someone has called it, he is a bad dude. It's interesting when you look at this and look at uh, Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2, as we see, really Saul the murderer. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that he could find any that belonged to the way, men or women, that he might bring them and bind them and go to Jerusalem. We talked last week, just a little sneak peek, that uh, Saul's life prior to Christ was characterized by uh, blaspheming against Jesus of Nazareth. A man who blasphemed against Jesus. A man who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Um, murderous threats against followers of Christ in Acts 9, verse 1. Pursuing and dragging believers into prison. Uh, you'll see today, he takes a round about going to Damascus and coming back uh, 280 miles round trip in order to find believers and bring them back to Jerusalem and have them executed. 
We see that he approved of having believers put to death in Acts 26, verse 10. And he boasts. He boasts of his religious uh, religiosity, his righteousness, that he is of the Hebrew of Hebrews and the Pharisees of the Pharisees. You say, well, where do you find that? Philippians 3, uh, Philippians 3 in verse uh, 4 and 6, it says this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, talk about somebody who's cocky. Talk about somebody who is so puffed up. And he says this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul wanted no part of the Jesus movement. But ironically, Paul becomes a huge part of this movement and how people will come to know the Lord and how he will help in advancing the gospel for the church of Jesus Christ that will go worldwide. And so you could compare his attitude and his actions to that of, of ISIS today. Wanting to snuff out Christianity, wanting to snuff out the church of Christianity. And yet, God is about to wake up Saul to a new and fulfilling life in Christ. And so let me invite you to take a look at the conversion of Paul. Maybe you've read it before in Acts 9 here, in verses 3 to 9. Follow along. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why, do you, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days... He was without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. This would be Paul's rescue story for the rest of his life. This is a rescue story that Paul will share again and again and again with others of how God captured not just his attention, but captured his heart and changed his life forever for the glory of God. But before God is going to call Saul, who will eventually become Paul, to be a great leader, he first calls him to become his child. And God does that with us too. We don't just become a leader. We don't just become someone famous. We don't just become an intricate part in things. He calls us first to himself. He calls us to be his child. He does this with Saul. He did this with you. And we hopefully have a grace story, a rescue story that we can share. John 1, 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How many of you here have a rescue story? Just raise your hand. 
A time in your life where God got a hold of your heart, saved your soul, you received him by grace through faith, you put your trust in him and surrendered your life to him. If you have that rescue story, it is a story worth telling time and time and time again. And this is a story that Saul will start to share. And people will be amazed. I have a rescue story. You see a picture here of a cabin. I came to know the Lord when I was 10 years old in Ravenna, Ohio, at a camp called Camp Carl. The chapel in Akron owns this camp. A friend had asked me to go. I'll tell you, the only reason I wanted to go to this camp is because they had mini bikes at that time. And I loved riding mini bikes. And so I went, and I had a full week of just enjoying riding mini bikes. And every night in our cabin, our counselor would share about Christ. And every night I would lay in my bunk and I would look up and I would think about mini bikes. I loved it. And it was the last night in July of 1973. I'm laying in my bunk and my counselor said this, and you've heard this question before. If you were to die tonight, would you know without a shadow of a doubt you would get to heaven? And I didn't know. And as a kid who was 10 years old at that time, I thought, if I'm nice to my sister, I'll get to heaven. If I get good grades, I'll get to heaven. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm nice to people, I'll get to heaven. And my counselor said, guys, if you're interested in how you can be sure that one day you'll go to heaven, I want you to just get up right now where you're at, and I want you to walk outside. And outside was this huge rock, and I'll meet you out there. How many of you have ever been someplace that you know if you don't take action, you may never have that opportunity again? And here as a 10-year-old, I found myself in front of my peers getting up and walking out of that cabin. Little did I know, out of 12 boys, 11 of them knew Jesus. And one of them named Craig Peters did not. And I remember sitting on that rock and I remember my counselor coming out, and I wasn't quite sure what to think or what to do at 10 years of age, and he just shared the gospel with me. He shared with me the love of Jesus and what he could do in my life. And I remember as a 10-year-old, I was just crying because I'm thinking, what are my parents going to think? And I remember that night, I bowed my head, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, and I invited him into my life. I didn't know all the answers, I couldn't have told you what's in the book of Leviticus. Uh, I didn't know at that time what the book of Romans meant. I didn't know anything. But I knew that I had given Jesus my life. And I wanted him to guide me and direct me the rest of my life. That's my grace story. That's my rescue story. And I always say this. Any bad day with Jesus is far better than any good day without him. Amen? Any bad days, bad day with Jesus is far better than a good day without him. This is Saul's rescue story of how God came to him on that road to Damascus and helped him to see the very one that you are persecuting is the very one that died for you. And God is going to change Saul's life considerably. Before God calls Saul to be a great leader, he brings him to the point of emptiness. He brings Paul to the point of emptiness. Uh, uh, Saul is full of himself. And yet God is going to do a work in Saul's life. 
He calls him out of a life of religion and into a life of a relationship to live in God. A life of submission, a life of surrender and obedience to the Lord. It's, someone has called it a calling of the death of our old life. It's a calling of the death of our old life. Only Jesus can do that, friends. Only Jesus can call us to the death of our old life. Uh, not your spouse, uh, not a friend, not a coworker, uh, not who you are, not what you do, not how you look. Uh, not even your mother-in-law can bring to death your old life. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus is able to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his glorious light. Colossians 1.13. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day like Saul here? That God got a hold of your heart and he took you because you surrendered your life to him out of the dominion of darkness and he transferred you into the kingdom of light. How old were you? How many of you were 10 or below? Raise your hand when you made that commitment. How many of you were somewhere between 10 or 20? Raise your hand when you came to know Jesus. Uh, 20 to 40, right in there. Okay, great. 40 to 50. Okay, some of you are raising your hand. You know, for someone after the age of 45 or 50, come to know the Lord is rare. You know why? Because people are set in their ways. How many of you came to know the Lord after the age of 50? If you can raise your hand, go ahead and raise him. Okay? Okay? We all have, if we receive Christ, a story to tell. Saul has a story to tell here. But God had to empty Saul first in order to fill him up with purpose and peace and joy. And it's the same with us. God has to empty us out of our old nature and our depravity and our sin, Ephesians 2, to remind us what he will fill our life with. There's a hope and there's a joy and there's a peace. So listen, just smile because there's so much that Christ does in our life. Some of us walk around with a scowl on our face. We have a story to tell of God's redeeming grace in our life. And he did it for Saul, and he does it for us. So when Jesus gets a hold of Saul's heart here, watch out, because everything's going to change. He's going to turn his life inside out and upside down for the glory of God. And you can be assured he will do the same for you and I in bringing that peace and that joy and that love that we've never had before. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. And if you know Christ as your Savior, just as Saul here, we see his conversion. We see what's going to happen to his life. He is blind. He is empty. He doesn't know where to go. He's being taken into Damascus. He is not this strong, religious, cocky person. He is humbled by God. Remember, God can and will use you. If you're a believer in Christ, you are honored and you are loved and you are valued and God will use you. Do not buy into the lie that God cannot use you or use others. So if we started over here all the way over by Randy Smith, I want you to tell me, can God use a Randy Smith? 
Oh my, oh, 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 oh. We're gonna try that again because you just hurt his feelings. Can God use someone like Randy Smith for the glory of God? Yeah, and I see a Don Troxel right here and his wife. Can Don use Don and his wife for the glory of God? Absolutely, and I look over here and I see Vicky, right? And Vicky's gone through cancer and yet God is working in her. Can God work in Vicky's life? Yeah, I see Brian and Teresa more here. And I think, uh, 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 is God God able to use them? Absolutely. And I see Don and his wife over here. Can God use them? Yes, God can use any single one of us. And he's going to use someone named Saul to just take his word and establish it and advance it all over the world. God can use us. God looked at Saul and saw him not for who he was, but for who he would one day be. God took Saul and he looked at him and he saw him not for who he was, but for who he would one day be. And aren't you thankful for that? That God doesn't see us for who we once were. But because of his shed blood, we have been forgiven and he sees us for who we will one day be. Yes, Saul was a persecutor, a blasphemer, a violent man. Even Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 that he was the chief of sinners. The chief amongst sinners. But God saw him for what he would one day be. God's man doing God's business for God's glory. God will use anything or anyone to draw us to himself. So here is Saul. He cannot see. He is being able to, he is by hand going into Damascus. And uh, he doesn't know what to do. uh, But he has been told, go into Damascus. Rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Look at verses 10 to 13. Once God has saved us, he now prepares those he calls. The godly leadership doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen by accident. It just doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes time. It's, it's not gradual. It's not the instant microwave leadership institute. It takes time. And here's what happens in verses 10 to 13. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And he said, uh, Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Do do you get it? Uh, Ananias has been told by the Lord, uh, go, lay your hands on Saul so that he can see. And Ananias does what? He tries to backpedal. He says, listen, Lord, I don't know if you know this guy, but this is a bad guy. This is a violent man. 
I mean, I, I, I'm willing to do anything or anywhere, go anywhere. I'll be a missionary in Cancun. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. But I, am, I, I don't want to go to this man's house where he's staying. There's skepticism there. There's fear in Ananias of what is going on here. He's afraid and basically, Lord, you, you've got it wrong. Even Ananias, who is a leader, needs to trust the Lord even though he doesn't know the outcome. Paul does not become an instantaneous leader overnight. It appears that he grows into his leadership. See, there are some of us that are waiting the day that we will have that perfect job or that perfect position. There's a, a time in our life where all of us are like, I want so desperately to lead in such a way. But God leads us gradually. We grow into our leadership. Let me give you an example. When I was in middle school, my parents bought me a pair of pants, okay, that was so long, so long. And you know how uh, people used to roll up their pants? I mean, it was rolled up probably to about right here. And I thought, I look like a doofus, man. And my parents said, oh, you'll grow into them. You'll grow into them. And I would go to school, and people were like, what? what's going on? I'm like, I'll grow into them. I'll grow into them. And they, they, they just bought me long pants because they said I'll grow into them. And man, for about six months, I, I started, and I, I, I realized that I wasn't rolling them up as high. And I began to grow. Six months later, I grew into those pants. And they were like perfect pants. And I'm like, oh, that is awesome. And yet six months later, I continued to grow. And now, I didn't have long pants, but I had what they used to call floods. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, man, when's the flood coming, you know? And, and so I'm walking around with floods. It's something that was gradual. It just didn't happen overnight. God has something special for every single one of you here. Husbands, you're to be the leader in your home. It's not going to happen overnight. It is a gradual understanding that your wife sees and says yes there is a man of God who loves the Lord and desires to lead. You're not going to lead in your company overnight. You, you, you apply for a job, and it's a, a, a menial job. You're not going to be the CEO overnight. It is a gradual learning in your leadership. And that's what God is doing with Saul here. He prepares him and calls him, but he is growing into leadership. Look at verses 15 to 16. We see God's leader will carry Jesus' name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Your, your calling is not about you. It's about God working in you and through you. And what is the challenge here that God gives Ananias? That Saul will be my chosen instrument. And so are you. You are God's chosen instrument to take his word to the nations. To not be ashamed of your rescue story. 
And just like Saul, we are a chosen instrument to carry out his name. You're a representative. You're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, where it says you are to be a representative, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity to meet the ambassador from Malawi, Africa. He came while I was there, and we were ministering to almost 300 pastors from Malawi, Mozambique, and Zimbabwe. And we were told the ambassador or the diplomat from Malawi would be there. And he walked in. He represents Malawi, Africa. Maybe you've had somebody that has come to the United States where they're an ambassador or a representative of that country. That's what we are. As believers in Christ, we're a representative, an ambassador of the Lord. And so uh, the Lord says, Saul will be my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. A leader promotes God, not himself. We even see this in verse 22, where in verse 22 it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. It's as if Saul is saying, it's not about me anymore. It's about Christ working in me and through me. And then in verses 17 to 31, we see that God equips those he calls. And I'd just like you to follow along as I read this portion of scripture that we see how God is in the process of equipping Paul in equipping us. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by the night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. You think? For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenistic Jews, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. We see God equipping Saul here for a great work. 
God's calling on your life is not just some internal transformation. It is also an external demonstration that Jesus is working in my life. And at first, some didn't trust Saul. They were afraid of him. But all after time, Ananias begins to believe in the life change of Saul. The disciples in Damascus begin to believe in the life change of Saul. Even the disciples in time in Jerusalem begin to believe in the life change of Saul. And Saul begin to see the change in his own life. He is living it out and he's going into the synagogue. When he would go into the synagogue before and try to find people of the way and bring them and pull them out, he is now going in proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God. Others are shocked, blown away, surprised. Isn't this the one that raised havoc in Jerusalem? Others will question the authenticity of your life until they see it consistently, consistently lived out. Let me say that again. People will not trust the authenticity of a changed life until they see it consistently in your own life. They see it in your actions, your words, your attitude. Saul has proven that Jesus is the Christ by showing how Jesus has changed his life. Like Saul, you cannot be called by God and remain as you are. You cannot be called by God and remain as you are. A true calling of God will show evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So let me give you an illustration here. I spent a lot of money on this illustration, okay? Are you ready? Now let me ask the question. Why did water come out of the bottle? And you may say because you shook the bottle. Let me ask it again. Why did water come out of the bottle? Because there was water in the bottle. And whatever is working in your life internally, when it is shaken, it'll come out. And it will be evident to those around you. When you go through a trial, when you go through a time of heartache and pain, when you go through a time of great celebration and you're giving the credit to God, they see what comes out of your life. And is what is coming out of your life a true demonstration of that internal transformation of what Christ has done. And so here is Saul going into the synagogues and preaching about the word of God. And they see a life change. Something has come from within him. A life change has occurred. We call it regeneration by the Holy Spirit. God does not send us out to lead without equipping us. God equips us so that we might be his instrument and we might help equip others. So let me stop there for a second. And let's do a fast forward. Here's a man who has come to know Christ. He is preaching Christ. His life has changed. People are seeing a change in his words and actions and attitude. And now let's fast forward. Fast forward because Paul has, has established many churches throughout Asia Minor. Uh, he is an incredible mentor to people. Uh, he is not what he used to be. He is growing into being a leader. And now we fast forward, and I want you to real quick go to 1 Timothy 6. So you can hold your finger in Acts and go to 1 Timothy 6. 
And I want to show you, fast forward, what has happened in Paul's life since Christ has gotten a hold of him. Because there's often that, that sentence or that, that thought of, how can God use me? You have no idea how much God can use you. And so Paul, who used to be this persecutor and murderer, fast forward now, is mentoring a young man who will take over in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, starting in verse 11, we see Paul's life kind of coming to an end, and he is... Uh, pouring into this young man, Timothy. And he basically gives him four charges. And these are the four charges that I believe he gives to the church that we are to live by and abide by so that we can effectively lead for the glory of God. In 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16, it says this. But as for you, O men of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life of which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of my witnesses. I will charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who is his testimony forever that Pontius Pilate made a good confession to keep before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from approach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are four charges that Paul gives Timothy and gives us. And I would be remiss if we walked out of here today without a challenge for us in wherever God is leading us and however God is leading us. And the first one is a charge to flee. There are things that you and I know that will knock us out of being a leader for the Lord. There are things that will disqualify us from being a leader and being used in an incredible way for the Lord. We are challenged here to flee those things. You know what those things are. The context here is to flee from the greed of money. But in an application way, don't just flee from the greed of money, but flee from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. To flee. When you hear the word flee, what does that tell you? Does it tell you to stick around? So let's say we're worshiping here this morning, and we are. And all of a sudden, down that aisle and down that aisle, slithers in a black mamba. Now, I've been to Malawi, Africa. Malawi, Africa is black mamba country. It is the most deadly snake in Malawi, Africa. They say if you get... Uh, bit by a black mamba, you have just enough time to get a pen and a piece of paper and write out your obituary. You're never going to make it to a hospital. A black mamba, one of the deadliest snakes in the world. And so it slithers in here. Do you turn and do you go, oh, yeah, it's a black mamba. It's okay. Do you find yourself going up and trying to coddle it and go, yes, great black mamba, great black mamba. You would all do what? And I would be the first one with you. I would be hightailing it out of here as fast as I could. The moment someone says, snake, it's the moment that I'm out of the room. 
We flee. We get out of there as fast as we can. And what is it in your life that could very well be a poisonous snake? What is it in your life that you need to flee from that Paul says to Timothy, flee from these things? Because fleeing is not a mark of cowardliness. Fleeing is a mark of maturity and godliness. So what do you need to flee from? Let me give you the other three real quick. A charge to pursue, verse 11. Are there things in your life, if there are things in our life we need to flee, then there are things in our life that we need to pursue. And he gives us these. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. To pursue. Are you pursuing these things? Oh, I remember when I pursued my wife. Oh, I saw her. I can tell you where I was at. And I'm like, hello. Wow. Who is that? Well, that's and of all. Is she married? No, she's not married. Okay. <laughs> and I found myself pursuing her. Leaving everything else behind. God calls us to pursue these things of love, faith, endurance. There's a charge to fight here. To contend for the faith. To defend the advancement of the gospel. To, to not with fists, but with a sound doctrine heart of principle, to fight for those things that are right. You've heard the man of God is in the fight and the fight is in the man of God. Instead of us fighting in our church, let's fight for our church. Instead of fighting in our marriages, let's start, let's start fighting for our marriages. And instead of fighting with our kids, let's start fighting for our kids. Fight for those things as leaders where God will receive the honor and God will receive the praise. And then finally, there's a charge to hold on to the good confession. The good confession that we have. The good confession that we have made before the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when you made that good confession. Remember when you came to know Christ as your Savior. And you said, Lord, come into my life. He holds you accountable to that, that good confession. To hold on to it. To protect it. To guard it. So I, I was in Hong Kong two years ago. And I don't know if you've ever been in Hong Kong, but it is just super, super busy. And I see a lady standing there, and she's got a purse. And it's just dangling. And any criminal in Hong Kong would say, that's the person I'm going after. And, and she's standing there, and she's looking at all the skyscrapers and the people, the traffic, and she is clueless that at any given second, a robber can come up and snag that purse away. And then I see uh, another woman, and that woman is there, and she's holding her purse like this, and she's looking around. Someone is letting something loose that anyone can take. But then there was the person who said, this is important to me. I'm holding on to it. I'm protecting it with my life. That's the good confession that we are to have with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to hold on to that good confession. The life of the Apostle Paul has changed in your life too because of what he's done in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Each and every one of you here today have a story to tell. 
Each and every one of you maybe are not a Saul from Tarsus, but you've got a past. And God does not see you for who you used to be. But praise God, he sees you for who you are now and what you will be. And I want to just encourage you as a church of Mission View Bible Church that you would hold on to the good confession that you have. That you would flee from those things that you know can damage your relationship with the Lord. That you would pursue those things of love and grace and gentleness and patience. That you would find yourself fighting for the right things, for the things of God. And that you would hold on to the great confession that you have made of Jesus. That is the challenge this morning as you go out. To not quit, to not give up, but that you have an incredible rescue story to share as you are God's man, God's woman, doing God's business for God's glory. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, again, thank you for saving our lives. Thank you for the example of Paul and how you took him from a man who was so far from you to a man who was willing to give you his very life, to die for you, to be martyred for you. And Lord, where are we today? Are we standing for you? Do we hold on to that good confession because of your great name? Lord, allow us to be that chosen instrument for you, just as you did with Saul, that our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.